Hi! Welcome to the Romance Me Podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. I get it. It's the Haunted Mansion. It's bride. Today, we'll be discussing You Deserve Each Other by Sarah Hogel. No longer feeling the love, Naomi decides that her fiancé Nicholas no longer loves or appreciates her, if he ever did. She wants out, but she doesn't want to be responsible for the breakup. Naomi stops trying to keep things together and goes on the offensive. If Nicholas breaks up with her... She won't be expected to foot the bill for the wedding her mother-in-law has been planning. As Naomi and Nicholas engage in a series of pranks and other misdeeds, they begin to realize there might be something worth staying for after all. There will be spoilers beyond this point. Well, Erica, what's Naomi's mindset when we first join her? I don't know. This woman is at the end of her rope. (laughs) She's been in this relationship with Nicholas for two years. They've been engaged... At least half that time, I would say. When they got engaged, they moved in together. And at that point, things seemed to change between them. Nicholas turned out to be a total mama's boy. Naomi's prospective mother-in-law is apparently a super overbearing woman. And her father-in-law is a wet blanket. (laughs) She doesn't live near her own family. But from what we do learn, her own family sucks. I can't remember the ways in which they suck other than the fact that they sucked. They they just suck. Oh, fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) She's basically just stuck in this relationship with Nicholas where he takes care of his mom and she's constantly feeling like she's playing second fiddle. For example, he'll bring his mom flowers just because, but he won't bring her flowers because, oh, she doesn't need that. Yeah, it's a little weird. Naomi works at this, like a quirky sort of gift shop. And she has a group of friends there. She has a Instagram life where she tries to pretend like everything's perfect and wonderful. And she tries to pretend to her friends too, that everything is perfect and wonderful. She's living a lie. Yeah. And I guess it's starting to chafe. Starting to? I don't know. She's Like, over the course of the book, you learn she's kind of dissociated from herself. Like, she's just on autopilot. Do you think she ever takes off autopilot? I'm not entirely sure she does. Naomi is not a reliable narrator, guys. She's just not. No, she's not. She's totally not. She has this whole perception of how things are. But as a reader, you're looking at it going, Girl, can you just talk to them? Can you just think about it for a second? I was incredibly frustrated with that moment where she's like, oh, they're trying to get me to foot the bill. Like, this is her telling her how life is. Yeah. she She's taking the evidence and she is not coming to the right conclusion at all. And that is the catalyst for her starting the prank war. Not only that, but she has this whole self-centered point of view. At no point is she thinking about Nicholas or his mom or anybody being their own person doing their own things. Everything is around the perspective of how it affects her. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sometimes get into that mindset where they're 
they're the main character of the story and these other people are side characters and they don't remember that the side characters are the main characters in their story. It's just she's so self-involved that I'm like, she doesn't need to be in a relationship. She needs to... She needs therapy. She needs stuff. I know I say that a lot, but she really... She needs therapy and she needs like a nice couple years just learning to love herself and work on herself yeah that was the impression i got i cannot tell you how many times in the story i felt bad for nicholas oh dude why he didn't leave i don't understand okay i have several bones to pick with nicholas as well but we'll get to that i'm not saying that he's boneless but like (laughs) (laughs) yeah no he's not perfect but he is by far the more sympathetic character oh totally i was like what why why is he still here (laughs) dude leave leave now run run away you have a very fast car oh you could get several states away before she would know let's talk about this for a second the car thing (laughs) because nicholas is a dentist So he makes good money. He's educated. He's a provider. Naomi works a minimum wage job at like a gift shop, which again, no judgment. And she enjoys it. And he, I think Nicholas is okay with it. Not that he has to be. Yeah, he's fine with it. He wants her to do whatever will make her happy. But why does she have all the shitty stuff? Like she has the shitty car. She has the shitty chair. She doesn't get her own office, but he does, even though we find out he doesn't use it for office things. Do you think it's because she doesn't ask for it? Or do you think he has denied her? Well, initially, I was prepared to hate Nicholas because he lets his mom walk all over him. Hmm. He lets his fiance walk all over him. But he also doesn't, he hasn't like combined finances with her. Like he expects her to pay for her own shit or something, which I think is weird and maybe this is just me and my relationship but why didn't they combine finances well maybe they're expecting to after the i mean they'd have to do that after they're married but oh maybe not well not necessarily but i've i mean there, there are different ways you can you can do your finances you can go straight 50 50 which is the least fair or you can yeah. do a ratio based on your income so like if he makes 50 percent more then he would pay for 50 percent more or you could just combine your finances entirely and it it's one big pot that everyone takes from. I I don't know. It feels like they're in the 50-50 relationship at the beginning of the story. And I don't know if that's really the case, but that's how it felt to me initially. And I don't think that changes by the end of it, actually. Not really, although... My sense of that. Although I do feel all she had to do was ask. If she said, hey, Nicholas, I need a new chair, he would get her a new chair. But she shouldn't have to ask. She should just be able to go get a new chair with their money that they have. Like, that's my feeling. Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) Maybe she doesn't need, like, a super fancy nice car, but she shouldn't have, like, a shitty car if he has a good job and they can afford that fancy car for him. Why can't she have a newer car? Yeah, well, since they communicate so well, we can only speculate. That's true. So at the beginning of the story... She's trying to convince herself she's happy and she's in this mindset. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's like that meme with the dog and the house burning down. (laughs) Yes. This is fine. It's okay. I wanted to be warm anyway. But then Nicholas overhears that she has a game night planned with her friends. And one of her friends actually says, oh, are you coming this time, Nicholas? And Nicholas takes it as a challenge. 
oh yeah, of course I'm coming. Naomi is not excited about this because she was looking forward to having a night with her friends where she didn't have to pretend that her relationship was perfect. And now she has to manage it and make sure her friends don't learn the truth. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Things kind of go to shit at this game night. <laughs> and then when they get home, they have probably the first argument they've ever had, which is telling. <laughs> yeah. And Naomi comes to this realization, whether or not it's true, she thinks that the relationship is a game of chicken because her mother-in-law has been paying for all the wedding planning and everything. She thinks, well, if I break it off, I'll have to pay for everything. If Nicholas breaks it off, he'll have to pay for everything. So they're both trying to get the other one to break it off. That's her interpretation of the situation. Yeah, at no point does Nicholas ever say anything like this. This is all in Naomi's head. <laughs> Nor does he act like this. Nope. When she starts doing pranks and stuff, he retaliates. But I don't think he's trying to get her to break up with him. I think he's trying to get her to be real with him. Yeah, I think he knows something's up. And he's trying to get her to confess rather than just say, oh, I don't know. Oh, gosh. <sighs> so um, I rationalized this all away by them both having <laughs> crappy parents. They never learned how to communicate in a healthy way. Yep. Let's go with that. He has crappy parents that don't communicate. She has crappy parents that don't communicate. Therefore, they did not develop these skills. And they don't possess the ability to go to the library and learn anything about communication, nor do they get therapy. Because even though they're hurting, they don't realize anything's wrong. Uh, <laughs> no, they realize things are wrong. They just don't think it's their own fault. Instead of using any kind of tools to fix anything, they just chuck the tools at each other. Yep. <laughs> and so the next morning, Naomi wakes up and she's like, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. Therefore, I'm going to cut bangs because I know he hates them. And so she cuts bangs and she ends up like overcorrecting and cutting them super short. <laughs> <laughs> But then she also dresses in a way that she knows he'll hate. In her mind, she's thinking this whole time, I have to catch up with baiting him because he's been trying to get me to break up with him for so long and doing all these things. I have to catch up so that I win or whatever. I don't even know. This is the point where I start thinking, you are crazy. You are a crazy, crazy woman. Yes, I must admit, I was sort of expecting the, I don't know, the disagreement, whatever you want to call it, to be verbalized rather than it all be in her head. Yeah, I was expecting for some, at some point in the book to have it be like, yeah, she was right all along. But that doesn't happen, folks. No, it's just all in her head the whole time. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> We don't get any other perspectives. I mean, she clearly has a very rich fantasy life, but it did not serve her well. No. The thing is, though, is I don't disagree with her first steps, you know? Yeah, cut bangs if you want bangs. Dress how you want to dress. That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. 
But don't do it just to antagonize him. I could see her making a change where like, well, I've been dressing the way he likes and wearing my hair the way he likes. But if he doesn't care about me, then I'm not going to bother. Yeah. That makes way more sense. That totally makes way more sense. Then if he doesn't care about me, then I'm going to dress in a way that I know will provoke him. Yeah. No. (laughs) That's just immature. Agreed. And not not healthy. You know, again, she's not loving herself. She's still putting him above her. Yes. She also calls Deborah, who's Nicholas's mom, to change the wedding flowers back to something she wants. Deborah has taken all of the wedding planning away from Naomi, like all of it. And up until this point, Naomi has let her because Nicholas has never stepped up and backed her up at all. Yeah. No support. Of course, she never asked him to either. <laughs> Yeah. I think they're both to blame there. I think that he should have backed her up and said, hey, no, mom, this is my wedding too. I can plan things with my fiance. I agree. But if he didn't, then she still should have said, hey, Nicholas, can you please talk to your mom and let her know this isn't cool? Mm-hmm. Either of those options are good. A good third option would be her to tell the mother-in-law herself, Hey, Deb, guess what? I'm not okay with it. Get your nose out of my wedding. Thank you. Yep. That's a little less tactful, less diplomatic, but still effective. That's maybe last resort, (laughs) but still. Yeah. As a grown adult, it is one of her options. Should she elect to use it? She calls Deborah at a time that she knows she'll be around people. And she knows that Deborah likes to take phone calls on speaker. And so she has a feeling that everyone can hear all this going on. And Deborah's going to have to save face with her. And she has this whole sweet conversation with her like, Oh, well, can you give me the number for the florist? And can you give me the number for the baker? Because I want to make some changes. And I want to do this thing. And Deborah is retaliating also with the sugary sweetness. But Naomi can tell that she's pissed. (laughs) I'm inclined to believe Naomi's interpretation here because we have the evidence of Deborah taking over the wedding planning. (laughs) I think Deborah is this self-absorbed sort of person and she wants to be in the center of everything and she wants to be in charge of everything. Do you think in that way she's kind of like Naomi? So (laughs) Nicholas really is kind of marrying his mother. Just a slightly different flavor. I don't think so. Because Naomi, she gave up. Deborah wouldn't give up. That's true. (laughs) She doesn't say die. (laughs) Naomi kind of started removing herself from the relationship and distancing herself emotionally and all these things. Deborah would not have done that. Deborah would have been on his ass. (laughs) This is true. Not that Naomi isn't kind of self-centered, but I think her self-centeredness is more of a lack of maturity or a lack of ability to open up and have like a real relationship with anyone. Yeah. She doesn't have those skills. That might be true. Every Sunday they go to dinner with Nicholas's parents and it's usually super fun. This time though, Naomi has decided she's not going to try to be nice or anything and so she wears loungy clothes and (laughs) weird makeup and she's got her bangs all weird and they're driving to dinner and there's a bouquet of flowers in the back seat and she says oh that's so nice that you bought me flowers nicholas 
And he's all, oh, um, those are for mom. And she goes, oh. <laughs> I think this is the first time she actually speaks any sort of truth whatsoever because she says, it'd be nice if you treated me like you treat your mom. <laughs> Words you never want to say. No. <laughs> He gets kind of pissy about it. He says, well, you're the one who's disengaging from the relationship and not paying attention to me. And she's just like, um, you're the one who prioritizes your mom's feelings over your fiance's feelings. Yes, I feel like they both have valid points there. Well, because she does. Naomi (laughs) does disengage. They do. I think this is the first honest adult conversation they've had. Yes. They don't have it in a mature way. They have it in an argumentative me, 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 me sort of way. But at least they're speaking truth. They're sharing their feelings. It's a step in the right direction. Kind of. It is. A very... A very small step. Yes. After the dinner with the folks, they get home and they have a huge fight. And toward the end of this fight, Nicholas tosses a coin and he says, heads, I'll start doing things my way. Tails, things can stay the same. And when it lands, he doesn't tell her what side it landed on. But the reader figures out pretty damn quick that it landed on heads. It takes Naomi a little longer. Why, I don't know. (laughs) Everything takes her longer. (laughs) But that night, Naomi starts sleeping on the couch. The very next day, Nicholas is just different. He trades in his fancy car for a Jeep and he stops wearing his contacts and wearing glasses instead and wearing more comfortable clothing instead. He sends a whole bunch of flowers to her work. A side, B side, I guess. What did you think about the flowers at the work situation? I don't remember what I did think. Well, it was a very rom-com movie sort of scene, right? He sends like a whole bunch of flowers to her work. And then she and her co-workers decide that they're oleander and freak out because it's poisonous. And then burn them in the parking lot. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, of all the flowers to fucking send Oleander. He didn't, though. He sent he sent Jasmine. I guess I missed that part. You find out later that he sent Jasmine. Oh. They had just assumed it was Oleander's. Like, you can look that stuff up. I'm not entirely sure you'd want to be burning a whole bunch of Oleander due to its poisonousness. I mean, sure shit, don't want to ingest it. So this scene, I mean, it was very funny to read. I appreciated the comedy, but it is the scene that made me start wondering, oh, maybe Naomi's assertions are true. Maybe Nicholas does feel pranky toward her the way she feels pranky toward him and they're playing chicken in their relationship and trying to get the other one to swerve out of the way first yeah because why else would that sort of scene be in there what adult human woman acts that way i don't know it's a very fictional scene I guess that wasn't the scene that like seemed so over the top to me. I think the scene where the car breaks down and she just fucks off or like hasn't like even the cops are there and she's like, no, no, I'll hide. I'm just like, how old are you? Yeah, there are lots of things in this book that just don't ring of truth to me. Like they're funny and they're not badly written. Like there's times where I'm laughing, but at the same time going, this isn't realistic at all. This isn't something that would actually happen ever yeah it was just it was so weird like oh i'll just have these issues and nicholas can clean up after me it's like i can't respect her this is 
Okay. She just starts throwing a tantrum. I mean, I don't have to like her. I mean, I was laughing through this, but my liking her was not a factor. No, there's a lot of funny, like, antics that go on in this book. And they are funny. I think you're exactly right in that it's like a rom-com. Heavy on the calm and heavy in the fantasy of the calm. Very much so, yes. (laughs) You know, and as long as you accept (laughs) that that's the world, the rest is fine. You can enjoy the ride a little bit better. Around this time, Naomi also finds out that the store that she works at is closing. They've been having bad business and they kind of all knew the store was going to close pretty soon eventually anyway. But she gets the call. Yes, she's on her way out. She doesn't tell Nicholas. (laughs) That's something that's so bizarre to me too. Like she doesn't tell him. Hey, fiance, who I live with. My job is going away. (laughs) Around the same time that he sent the flowers, he also tells her that he has a surprise for her on Friday. And on Friday, he picks her up from work. She doesn't want to get in the car with him. Like he kind of has to force her to get in the car with him. Almost like she's a cat and he's trying to stuff her into a cat (laughs) carrier. He drives her outside of town into the country and shows her the house that he just bought for them. She's just super confused. Who is this guy in this car wearing these clothes with his hair combed a different way and wearing his glasses instead of his contacts and not shaving every day? It's... Around this point, I think that she starts thinking, like, I don't really know the real him. He doesn't really know the real me. We never stopped pretending to be somebody when we moved in together. Yay, revelation. Nicholas tells her that he bought the house from Naomi's friend Leon, who she works with. He and Leon have kind of bonded and are buds now. They're both country guys. I honestly, like, when this thing started and she was so unhappy with her situation, I kind of thought she and Leon were going to get together. I never get these (laughs) things right. She seemed to get along with him better. Of course, I kind of think that maybe she wouldn't be happy with anybody because she's not really happy with herself. I think that's the case. I think that she just, she wants things to be this perfect story romance and it's just not going to be that way. Nicholas wants to know if she likes the house. She secretly loves the house, but she won't tell him. She says she hates it. (laughs) He tells her he thinks the house will save them. And he says that she should give the house a chance because she owes him because he gave up basically a dream job offer back in the summer because she didn't want to leave her job. And so you start to see, well, okay, Nicholas has some resentment on his side Mm -hmm. too. And I think this is the point where I start realizing, okay, Nicholas isn't just a mama's boy. He's also kind of checked out from the relationship for other reasons. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to move here. What are you going to do? If I don't come with you and he's like, well, you're free to rent a truck and move your stuff back. But the movers are coming tomorrow and they're going to move all our stuff out here. (laughs) And that's what happens the very next day. Movers come and pack up and move all their shit to the new house. Because Nicholas wasn't playing. No, they have separate bedrooms, which she's happy she doesn't sleep on the couch anymore. But she also misses sleeping with him, even though she doesn't want to say it or even think it. The author uses this um, this bedspread that they have that they picked out together that he has on the bed that he's sleeping in, I think, is a metaphor for her wanting to be with him and the comfort that she remembers from the relationship they had before. Yeah. This bedspread comes up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes she'll think about, oh, some other woman will sleep under that bedspread or I want to have the bedspread. <laughs> she can't think about Nicholas directly. <laughs> 
And Nicholas opens up to her a bit too. And he tries to tell her, I miss you. I can tell you're dissociating from our relationship. This isn't what I want. He's trying to tell her these things, but she is too upset about him doing stuff without her. Like she takes the fact that he traded in his car without talking to her. He bought the house without talking to her as him planning a life without her in the near future. I think she's really upset about all of it. She wants to be included. And I think she's rightfully upset. I think that when you're engaged to somebody, you should probably make these types of decisions with your partner, unless you have some other understanding. Yeah, I think she, she comes to the wrong conclusion that she's not supposed to be included, but she's completely right in that she should be a part of the decision making yeah on the other hand nicholas is still living within the spirit of the deal they made during the fight (laughs) i guess where you know he got heads and he's gonna do things his way now she didn't say no to that so in the world of the story i guess it's fine i think it makes sense in the world of the story there's another aspect to this whole thing too because she is still thinking that this is all part of his plot she still thinks that they're playing a game of chess and so she's like okay i still have to up my game i have to make him pay (laughs) i don't know and so Sunday night dinner comes around. She's late getting ready. She convinces him to take his car and she'll meet them there at the restaurant. She's traded in her car for Leon's old car that's a stick shift (laughs) that she can't drive. And she has this whole plan. After Nicholas is gone, she meets up with Leon and trades her car with his. So now... He has her car, which he's happy about. And she has his junker, which she's happy about because apparently this is going to show everybody. Truly, I don't know what type of statement she's trying to make aside from, oh, your mom is going to hate this and therefore you will too. Of all the things to get a crappy version of, a car is probably not the way to go for safety reasons. (laughs) And particularly, she doesn't know how to drive stick. That just, why the hell would you buy a car you don't know how to drive? Yeah, so we get to the scene you talked about earlier. She's driving the car, but she can't shift it up. And so she just abandons it in the middle of the street and runs away. Oh my god. And she gets, (laughs) she gets a text from Nicholas. Like, why are you so late? Where are you? And she says, I'm stranded. (laughs) And he like starts freaking the fuck out. Like, where are you? He finds her because she... She's able to communicate her location, right? I, I don't think he like GPSs her phone or anything. Yeah, she she tells him where she is, sort of. Like where the car is. <laughs> she's like, I left it here in this place. <laughs> but she's meanwhile ran away. Yeah, she keeps a visual. But yeah, she's she's fucked off. <laughs> cops have gathered nicholas shows up he talks to them he like looks around he sees her off in the distance crouching behind a building he comes and gets her he doesn't make her feel bad or anything (laughs) surprisingly yeah he's actually really sweet about it honestly like overly sweet about like unrealistically sweet about it (laughs) i'm like how is he not upset like I'm angry at her and I don't even like her. (laughs) (sighs) 
They actually have a really good conversation at this point, though, because he's driving her back home. She's like, I don't really feel like going to dinner. And he's like, that's fine. He tells her, I would have fun messing with my parents if I am in on the joke with you. He starts talking about how he had hopes when they got engaged that she would have his back with his mom and help him, you know, navigate the crappy relationship he has. And instead, she just disengaged entirely and left him to fend for himself, made him feel abandoned. But he doesn't say anything that she's worried he'll say. Like, she's constantly worried he's going to say something snide or cruel or poke at her or be a know-it-all. But there's nowhere in the text that's evidence for this side of Nicholas. I mean, maybe he's like that, but I kind of feel like she just interprets things that way. Yeah, she's got issues. I kind of have issues about his confession to her, though, about how he hoped he that Naomi would have his back with his mom. Yeah. How was she to know that? Psychically. Because they're soulmates, so they're going to be psychically connected. You'd think he could say before he introduces her... So, Naomi, my mom's kind of a jerk. She's kind of intense. (laughs) Don't take her seriously. Let's just kind of laugh at her behind her back, okay? Or, hey, Naomi, my mom tries to pressure me into doing things a lot. Could you help me out and give me excuses as to why I can't do those things? Or, hey, Naomi, could you pretend you have a cold and therefore we can't go to dinner tonight? Or... (laughs) Yeah. Literally anything to help her know what his expectations are as far as dealing with his crappy parent. Yeah. Or even any inkling as to the fact that his parent is crappy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I kind of got the impression that it's like, hi, here's my mom. And then the mom is just like, steamroller. <laughs> sort of the impression I got too. I mean, considering where the story starts and their ability to communicate, I don't imagine it started in a really great place. No. But after this debacle, they start doing the prank war. They'll do like little pokey things at each other. But some of them are bad. Like at one point he staples her underwear to the ceiling. Like all of it. Yeah. She ends up putting his hand in a bowl of warm water while he's asleep. (sighs) And when he wakes up, the bowl falls off the bed and lands on his cell phone and cracks the screen. And that's what pisses him off. Yeah. He tells her this is too far because my phone is broken now. Not that I wet myself. (laughs) That's fine. And then he ends up running over the Charlie Brown tree in their front yard because one of the things she likes about the house is that there's like this really sad little pine tree in the front yard that she called the Charlie Brown tree. So he completely murders it on his way to work. (sighs) When he gets home, he's still pissed at her because instead of calling his cell phone all the time, his mom instead called the office line. And instead of being mad at his mom, he's mad at Naomi because she's the reason his cell phone wasn't working. Yeah. And then he says, well, you should let me borrow your phone till I replace mine since it's all your fault that my phone is ruined. And as they're having this conversation, she gets a notification on her phone and he's like, who's that? Who's texting you? But no one's texting her. She's just getting notifications and not checking them because she's been putting in job applications and getting rejections and things like that. And she feels ashamed of it. 
and she doesn't want him to know. She doesn't even want to tell him about it. And so she's like, it's nobody. And he's all, well, show me your phone then. And she's like, no. Hey, jealousy. And then he leaves and goes to salt his parents' driveway because it's beginning to snow. And we have yet another one of those, gee, why doesn't he ever salt our driveway? Why doesn't he care about me or take care of me or prioritize me? All of which are valid, but at this point, I don't feel bad for her anymore. Nope. At the beginning of the book, I did. But now I'm just like, you know what? If you could just tell him half of what you're thinking right now, I bet he'd do it. Yeah. He seems like that type of guy. I must admit my sympathies got spent real quick. I agree that it would suck to be in a relationship where no one, where, where your partner never anticipates your needs. But at some point, you have to have some responsibility and say, you know what? I'm also not communicating my needs. Yep. <laughs> we are not mind readers. Nope. <laughs> He'll say, I want you to be sorry for your half of what went wrong. I want you to not disengage from the relationship. How does she interpret these things? Does she just not believe him? Does she not take him seriously? Is he not being straightforward enough? I don't think she ever believes him because she believes her own narrative first. Is this the first time he's ever opened up to her ever, ever? Like, I kind of wonder at this point in the story, has he been telling her all along, Hey, Naomi, why are you ignoring me? Or, I miss having sex with you when you actually liked <laughs> it. Or, hey, remember when we used to want to spend time together? Wasn't that nice? I wonder. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I guess I get the impression that Naomi thought her love life with Nick was going to be one thing. It turned out to be another thing. And when it started heading down on that trajectory, she just went off into fantasy land. She just noped out. Yeah. And so maybe he said something. Maybe he didn't. It's hard to know because she was already checked out. I think she checked out pretty quickly after she met the mom. Yeah. And then especially when the, you know, the wedding plans get so further on and it means the actual date is coming up and then she's actually starting to think about things. They haven't talked to each other openly and honestly, probably since the beginning of their relationship. Who the hell knows? They don't have the skill sets for it. She's got a rich fantasy life. And so she tells, she makes this story up in her head that, oh, well, they're, they're coming after me. I'm the victim. When it's like, yeah. dude, you victimized you before anybody else did. Take a step back. Yeah, breathe. That's what I mean. Like, I, I honestly, <laughs> my feelings about the end, which I'll talk about when we get to the end, were just, yeah, I, I was so frustrated with her. It, while simultaneously laughing at the funny parts. Because it is, it is a funny book. It is funny, but you really have to just take it with like, like a margarita glass worth of salt. Like it's just... <laughs> a driveway's worth of salt. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just no other way to like at least for me to get through it the next day he goes fishing and she's watching him fish it's winter time by the way fyi he loses his oar and his fishing pole buddy she starts laughing at him and so he jumps in the water and swims to shore and as she's laughing he grabs her and dunks her head in the lake <laughs> she raises him to the bathroom because this house only has one bathroom and she beats him to the shower but he gets in the shower with her uninvited so they have this really awkward slash sexy shower together i don't know <laughs> i really didn't know how to feel about it 
I don't think it will surprise fucking anyone that I didn't feel anything. (laughs) I'm just, it's really hard for me to like imagine being in that situation. I'm fighting with my significant other. I get in the shower and he just strips off and gets in the shower with me, even though we haven't had sex in months. (laughs) And we're sleeping in separate Uh. rooms. I kind of feel like at the point where you haven't had sex for months and you're sleeping in separate rooms, <laughs> together showering uninvited isn't a thing. Yep. No, you have to reestablish physical intimacy and tr- and like there's so <laughs> many things that, like yeah no I was just like can I possibly be out of this scene more because <laughs> like, I mean there there is an element of implied consent I think in relationships you know if you've been in a relationship for X amount of time you know what your significant other is okay with Hopefully. and not okay with and, and how they're willing to be touched or touched yeah and I could totally envision a relationship where you know together showering is a thing and it's fine but this obviously <laughs> isn't it <laughs> no no He is still worried about her maybe cheating on him because of these notifications on her phone that she's so secretive about. And so he starts bringing up his coworker, who is a very attractive woman, the secret Santa gift that he's supposed to buy for her. And what does Naomi think he should get for his coworker? Trying to make her jealous. And she tells him, you shouldn't get her anything. (laughs) You should get these things for me, not her. (laughs) Which, honestly, good for her. Because the things he's talking about getting her are wildly inappropriate. But again, he's saying these things just to get a rise out of Naomi because he's jealous. They make out. He asks her if she's cheating on him with Zach, one of her old co-workers. And she's just like, what? (laughs) No. Why would you think that? And he's like, because he hates me and never wants me around. I don't know. And she's all, yeah, no, he's just like that. No, no, he (laughs) hates you for entirely different reasons that have nothing to do with wanting to sleep with me. (laughs) It's possible. Believe me. (laughs) But they have more kissing time. And then she goes to bed in her room and locks the door. There's a part where she wakes up in the middle of the night thinking maybe he tried to get in, I think. But that never gets brought up again, really. Moving on. And then the next morning, she finds him sick on the couch. Apparently, he came down with a cold or flu or something after ice swimming in the the (laughs) pond. (laughs) And he's like surrounded by cold meds and all passed out. And she actually feels bad for him. And she's thinking to herself, oh, my God, he's going to get up and shovel his parents driveway anyway, isn't he? And so she gets all dressed up and drives out to his folks house and starts shoveling the driveway so he doesn't have to. I actually really liked that scene because the mom comes out with like some special hot chocolate because she thinks it's Nicholas. (laughs) And then she realizes, oh, it's Naomi. And Naomi's like, oh, thanks. And she's drinking the hot chocolate going, yep, I knew she always served (laughs) me the cheap stuff. And then after that, she goes and gets breakfast and cold meds and comes back home. And later he rearranges the office so that it's a shared space, which is really sweet. 
Okay, so now it's Thanksgiving, and of course they're gonna spend it at his parents' house, and Nicholas is always responsible for bringing like a centerpiece decoration, and usually he makes it or does something extravagant. This year, however, he has not had time. So they're driving around. They go to the local craft store to get supplies. Naomi doesn't want to go to the craft store because this is one of the stores she applied to that she had really wanted to work at and they never called her back. And when she gets there, she finds out that one of her coworkers, the one that doesn't like her, had gotten the job that Naomi had applied for. Her coworker, Melissa, is super bitchy to her, but Nicholas kind of protects Naomi and then Naomi protects Nicholas and there's this bond that they're starting to form, I guess, where, oh, we'll stick up for each other. We're a team. (laughs) Imagine that. And then when they get to Thanksgiving dinner, Nicholas's mom starts berating them over not sending out the wedding invitations yet. And Naomi sticks up for him. Nicholas's mom says, oh yeah, by the way, I got your dress sized down again because you should have a goal to reach for or something like that. Oh, I got a goal. All right. And Nicholas sticks up for her. They leave like in the middle of dinner. I think there's like some big to do about cake at this point. His mom like won't let her have a piece of cake because of the wedding dress. Let the woman eat cake. (laughs) They leave. Naomi opens up about all the jobs she got rejected from. And then he opens up and shows her that he's actually been secretly playing a computer game in his office this whole time instead of, you know, working. And he also shows her the letters he writes to his mom's (laughs) advice column. Like his mom... His mom has her own advice column in the local paper. (laughs) And he writes like these anonymous letters to his mom about his crappy mom. What did you think about that? Do you think that was a good way for him to let off some steam about his frustration? It's so passive aggressive. I don't think it's healthy. I think in the context of the story, it was hilarious. But in in real life, no, don't do that. Just he should just go no contact with his mom. His his mom isn't doing anything good for him. Doesn't seem like it. I don't think he's benefiting from continuing that relationship. He does kind of have like this weird like I think he's the golden child in his family because his sister is the black sheep of the family and Nicholas is just the one that gets all the attention and the praise, but he's also the one who's expected to do all the stuff. And I think that he's afraid to stop doing all the stuff because of how they treat his sister. Yeah. Honestly, he should just stop doing all the stuff and stop caring about what they think and stop talking to them and maybe reconcile with his sister if it's possible. (laughs) Yeah. They've kind of settled into a tentative, friendly, relationship-y thing. The next day on Friday, they're surprised by a visit from the parents, of course. And instead of being adults, they hide upstairs and the mom's just like banging on the door. And then Naomi starts yelling at her from the window. And then Nick starts yelling at her from the window (laughs) until she goes away. (laughs) (laughs) Again, this is a very funny, funny scene, but also a very rom-com sort of movie type scene. Yeah. They start doing sweet things for each other. They make dinner together. They dance together. They start leaving cute notes and doing nice little gestures for each other. And it's very sweet. 
But then he has to leave town for the weekend to look after his parents' investments for some reason. She doesn't want him to go. She can't go with him because she has a job interview. He tells her, you know, it'll be okay. I'll be back soon. As she's driving out to the job interview, she drives by the building where the store she used to work at was. And she finds out that Leon has purchased that building and he's planning to open a restaurant there. And she stops and starts talking to him. And Leon says he wants her to work for him. And so she's super excited and accepts, of course. She calls and cancels the interview she had. And then they also invite Brandy to work there as well. Brandy is one of Naomi's really good friends, also from the prior job. So even though Nick is gone, she has a really good day and she goes home and she texts him that she misses him and then she falls asleep in his bedroom, in his bed. And when she wakes up, she finds out he's in bed with her and he's home earlier than expected. She tells him that she loves him and then they have this sex. The next morning, she wakes up first. She goes out to get breakfast. But when she comes home, she finds out he's gotten up and all the wedding invitations are in the trash. And she completely makes up a story as to why these wedding invitations are in the trash. (sighs) Of course, he doesn't tell her he's planning to throw them away. (laughs) She's decided, well, he must not want to be married after all. And oh my gosh, what is all this? She drives away an hour out of town and like has a nervous breakdown in a parking lot somewhere. Maybe he doesn't love me because I said I loved him, but he didn't say it back. And then she starts thinking, well, maybe he doesn't want to get married, but he wants us to be together the way we are. And that would be okay. I would be okay with that. So she's trying to figure out what's going on. Never mind. She could freaking tell him, hey, what's going on, Nicholas? She drives back home and finally makes a purchase with her credit card to get some food and he gets a notification on his phone because they both get notifications when they use the credit card. And so he follows her there and meets her there and he explains why he threw away the invitations because he was cleaning up and he saw them and he's like, this isn't what we want. These invitations are something my mom picked out. This isn't us. And he tells her none of the wedding that has been planned is us. And she, of course, agrees because it's not. And they agree that they're going to elope and they apply for a marriage license right away. And they make up their own surname, which is really going to set his parents off. (laughs) And then at the end, they spontaneously get married in their backyard. Her old boss is the officiate and her friends Brandy and Leon are witnesses. And that's where it ends. So they finally reconciled. They're married in their own way. They're a team against the evil (laughs) mother-in-law. And hopefully things will continue to go in the right direction. I guess. The end. (laughs) I think the author did a really good job with being funny in this book. There were tons of parts where I laughed. Like just full on cackling. I kind of wonder... Um, Do you think that the author intentionally made Naomi just completely misinterpret everything? Or do you think that Naomi was right and that Nicholas was (laughs) trying to fight her? I I don't think Naomi was right. (laughs) 
like I really went back and forth with it and I agree like I I think for sure Naomi's an unreliable narrator but there were several parts in the book where I just started questioning it because of the funniness I guess I'm like well if we're living in the type of world where a group of employees will burn several bouquets of flowers in the back of the store and (laughs) someone will staple someone else's underwear to the ceiling. Maybe it is a world where Naomi would be right. I don't know. I think the hijinksy nature of it kind of conflicted with the seriousness of some of the subject matter, if that makes sense. I think that's, for me, part of the problem with the story. Throughout the story, I'm wondering, how serious do I take this? You know, am I supposed to be concerned with any of the concerning things? Or if I'm just supposed to backburner it and just enjoy the funny? Because it is. It's very funny at times. And the funniness increased the more I didn't actually think about it. (laughs) Because then then you have to question Naomi's ability to, to narrate. Because we never get in Nicholas's head. We we have to question Naomi's ability to function in a society. A little bit at times, yeah. <laughs> like the scene where she abandons the car in the middle of an intersection and just runs away. Yeah. And meanwhile, like Nicholas is there. He's handling it. He's talking to the cops. And I think they actually make eye contact. Like he sees where she is hiding. Yeah. She's just perfectly okay with being like, well, he can deal with it. He's not the one who abandoned the car. He didn't buy a car he couldn't drive. (laughs) Again, that was one of those moments where I was like, to spite her. Poor Nicholas. (laughs) Well, and not only that, but it almost seemed like he's, you know, having this conversation with the cops like, yeah, my crazy fiance. And the cops are like, yeah, I know how it is, bro. Which is irritating. (laughs) And then like nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, it's like they have that dude bro moment of like women. And the whole time I'm going, not women. Kind of. Naomi. I think this is the first story in a long time where I was sort of, I would be really okay if they did not get together in the end. In fact, that would almost feel better. (laughs) And I think stories like this and romances like this are really difficult to do. Like, I don't know why I'm thinking of movie examples, but like, was it Money Pit and War of the Roses? Where you have this, like, balance of antagonism, comedy, and then, in theory, them getting together in the end and us being all happy about it. In theory. If they have chemistry. Yeah. I think it can be tough. I think the first half of the book, the author did such a good job of making me hate them and their relationship that the author really had her work cut out for her in the second half of the book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How was the audiobook? I enjoyed the the audiobook. The narrator, Taylor Meskimen, she was very lively. I think she did a really good Naomi. So I was very entertained with her performance. I'm curious, how did she play Naomi? Was she very straight or bouncy or... I'd say that Meskimen portrayed Naomi kind of in the young way that I think Naomi is. Maybe a little on the flighty sounding side. Or maybe that was just me projecting. Because I'm just thinking, how can this woman get this so wrong? (laughs) Repeatedly. Yeah, it's not even once. Like, she keeps getting it wrong. I'm sitting there going, do you not know the man you are with at? all no she doesn't that's the problem yeah it's just 
<laughs> it's concerning to me on multiple levels. It's like, why, yeah. why would you let it go that far when you clearly don't know them at all? And I question whether or not you know you. <laughs> I think that's fair. I feel like this is kind of pointless to ask, but M, are you happy for their happy? <laughs> I wrote in my notes that not sure they deserve each other, but they seem happy enough. But how do you feel about it? <laughs> I feel nothing. I I feel like, honestly, <laughs> they should not have ended up together. At least not within the time frame <laughs> allotted. I just, I feel like they needed a lot of work to do. And you're completely right. That the front part of the book or the front half of the book had so much in it to illustrate them not getting along and the issues. I don't feel like the in the second half, so to speak, that the feels were were able to be generated because that's the thing is like the front half of the book, like they are not remotely kind to each other at all. And there's no, like... No. Like, cause you gotta be careful with flashbacks. But, like, flashbacks or callbacks or whatever you want to call them to a time when, like, they did get along. <laughs> no, we don't get that until later when they start getting along again and she starts remembering stuff. Yeah, and by then it's almost too late. Especially for her to be so, like, he is after me for this, for this money and all of this. Like, at no point does she second-guess her thinking. Did I ever really know him? You know, was I wrong about him from the beginning? And then maybe she thinks about the beginning. You see like certain parts where Nick was still, or Nicholas was still trying, you know, where he's trying to figure her out or, or showing instances where he's, you feel like she misinterprets it, but like where he's trying to be kind or something like that. And she just, she is off in her own world. Yeah, well, she's, at that point, she thinks he's playing a game. Like I said, the, the less I really thought about things, the more I just enjoyed it. <laughs> what about you? Were you happy for their happy? You know, I feel so conflicted because I do agree with you that that there's not enough over the span of time for it to be believable that they ended up together at that point where they ended up married and happy and all those things. I did feel like the author was going in that direction and doing a good job redeveloping the trust, having the little moments, you know, like when they dance in the kitchen, for example, lots of tender, sweet moments. Oh, the, the time when he finds out, oh, she really liked that window. And so he rearranges the office so that they can put a couch mm. in front of mm -hmm. the window. Thing, things like that. I think where the author went wrong is that point where he throws the wedding invitations away and she immediately jumps to conclusions there. And I kind of wish that she had jumped to the conclusion and then went, wait a second, yeah. let me ask him. And then had it had them have that conversation at that point. I think by her running away again, it just shows that she has no trust for him whatsoever. And then that made me wonder, well, why is she marrying mm -hmm. this man? And I end up feeling like he talks her into marrying him when she doesn't truly trust him. I feel like she does love him and I feel like he loves her, but I don't feel like there's any trust in that relationship. No, I don't think there is either. And I think that the wedding invitation segment is what really clinched that for me. You know, I think it could have gone a different way and it, and she could have said, I'm going to trust him and ask him what's going on instead of just running away. Again. Yeah. 
she does start to talk herself down and everything by the time she's an hour away. <laughs> That's far. <laughs> but I just, it's just too much. I think at that point, it was just too much. So I'm not particularly satisfied with the happily ever after. I feel like they still have work to do. I think that they were heading in the right direction. I think that they can be happy, but I think maybe they should have postponed the wedding. So how do you rate them? How do you rate Naomi? I put her, basically it's awkward, mostly humorous, but girl needs therapy. I put her as awkward also. And I think for me, I feel like she's just a, like, she's not a real person. She's a puppet in this story. Like, I don't know, like how do I say that? She's a caricature of a person. I guess the thing is, for me, is the reason she stays very comedic, very, if you will, caricature-ish, is no emotional connection. Yeah. The funny was great. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the funny. I laughed at the funny. But I'm not at all rooting for her. I don't sympathize, especially when you get the impression like, dude, seriously, reevaluate. Yeah, I I felt really disengaged. <laughs> I I was thinking at one point, like, if I was in her position, which I don't often do with these characters or characters in general that aren't mine, <laughs> but I'm trying to understand her and thinking, like, if I had had the impression that my fiancé wanted to pressure me into footing the bill for the wedding that was never going to take place, essentially the chicken thing. You confront them. You, you'd think. You don't just take this kind of wild idea and run with it without any kind of evidence to support it. <laughs> I don't get her. She makes no sense to me. That's because she's not real. Yeah. <laughs> she's not real at all. <laughs> so how did you rate our hero? Our patience of Job hero? I struggled with poor Nicholas. I think I rate him awkward as well because I, I'm i not sure who he is. <laughs> he, on one hand, is a total doormat to his mom. He doesn't have any communication skills. He doesn't take care of his, his fiance. Like he buys himself a nice car, but not her. He buys himself a nice chair, but not her. He doesn't ask her what's wrong when he sees she's disengaging he just lets her disengage now granted that's not all his fault but again at no point did he say hey hey i notice um you seem unhappy yeah could you tell me what's going on with you yeah he's a bit oblivious person i'm supposed to love and be with forever well but no he's not oblivious because Later in the story, you learn that all along he's noticed she's disengaged. Oh, that's true. It's like he just didn't know how to handle it. No coping skills. He's just a man-child up until the end where you realize, no, okay, so he does have his shit together. So was he just playing the role he thought Naomi wanted him to play? And then he gave up doing that with the coin flip and decided he was going to be himself and himself is actually good? Like... (laughs) Why didn't he do this all along? I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. He doesn't make sense to me as a character. Now, he is more human than Naomi is. I'll give him that. But still, how did you rate him? I put him as awkward, frequently pitied. 
<laughs> yeah. I want to like the hero. You know, I always want to like the hero. I make excuses for the hero. You do. You do more than I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because you don't make any. <laughs> <laughs> no excuse. I really struggled with some of the stuff, like the not standing up against his mom. That's just a total ew yeah. from me. Not putting his fiance first. Ew. They're both children. Man child and woman child. Yeah. They do. They both have really immature aspects to their characters that make it They are. They're extremely immature. Difficult for them. They make it difficult for a reader to root for them because you just feel like y'all have some growing up to do <laughs> or something. What did you think about the antagonists in the story? Well, I sort of felt like obviously Nick and Naomi are the antagonists. And again, yeah, if I didn't overthink it, I just enjoyed the funny. As far as rating <laughs> like the awesome, awkward or awful, uh, when it was funny, it was awesome. <laughs> what about you? I think for me, as far as them being the antagonists in the story, they were awkward to me hmm. because I don't understand they're so childish and flippant with each other and each other's feelings. I just, they don't value each other. They don't value themselves. I, I, yeah. Why are they doing this? Why are they together? Why? I, I don't get it. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like towards the end, like they're, they're sort of glimpses as to why they maybe had a connection with each other, but it's, it's yeah. too little too late by that point. Yeah. I think that that needed to start earlier. Oh, yeah. Because what's there is good. I'm happy with with them growing toward each other. But I don't, yeah, I don't really feel like they do. But yeah, that would have been ideal. I feel like they're at that point where they're choosing each other, you know, or starting to. Like the little tendrils of, of trust and care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a, a little new plant, you know, just poking out of the earth couple other antagonists in the story of course we have deborah the mother-in-law oh, right. <laughs> she was pretty good i felt she was believable yeah. as a strong-willed mother-in-law i don't know there were a couple things where it felt like a little like crazy like like she sized down the dress multiple times over the course For of fuck's sake the engagement or whatever yeah. But things like taking over wedding planning or I'm paying, therefore I get to invite whoever I want. I mean, that's stuff that happens, yeah. sadly. <laughs> and then there was her work friend, or not really friend, Melissa, who was an antagonist as well. Because she started out um, being friendly with her and then set her up with one of Nick's friends who ended up cheating on her. And then Melissa just held like this grudge forever over yeah, it she didn't let it go ever 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 and you find out later in the book like maybe melissa is the one who sabotaged like naomi getting the jobs because naomi accidentally put her as a reference i didn't understand that either like i didn't understand the whole thing with that that character why was that character there so that naomi wasn't getting the jobs I guess, but why couldn't Naomi just not get the jobs? Because she just didn't get them. Like, why did there have to be a reason? Because reasons make the world go round? Fuck, I don't know. 
See, and that's the thing, because Naomi, I think, has apologized to her multiple times about the shitty date slash boyfriend that she set her up with, and she's never been forgiven for it. She just holds the grudge forever. Well, eventually her arms will get tired and she'll put it down, I guess. Or not. It'll crush her. It's not even like a realistic grudge, like, no, I just don't like you. We can't be friends. It's actually like a vindictive grudge, like... I'm going to strike out at you whenever possible. Especially for one bad date. That seems a bit excessive. It just, oh, I don't know. I didn't like her as a character very well. I didn't think it was, I didn't think there was a good enough reason for her to be the way she was. No, there probably kind of isn't. How did you rate the book? I gave it a 3.5 because it was funny and I was entertained. How did you rate it? I gave it a 3. I also thought it was very funny. I think that's probably why I ended up rating it a three and not lower. I liked the end way more than I liked the beginning. I really have a tough time with mean-spirited humor. Yeah. And so the parts where they're being mean to each other, I just, ugh. I liked how funny things were like, I'm going to dress up and do these things and act crazy and wacky. And I mean, all that stuff was fun, but like the mean stuff, not as much. Yeah. I must admit, like, in a romance and and with a couple, it's really hard to justify when it turns mean. Like, why are they still with them? Yeah. If if things turn mean so quickly, it makes it that much harder in the back half of the book to convince me why I should be rooting for them. Yeah. And I think, too, it's a little different when it's people being mean to each other, but they don't know each other yet, like they're acquaintances or rivals or something. Yeah. Versus this couple where they're supposedly in love and getting married at the beginning of the book. It's a lot worse to be mean to each other in that scenario i feel no i agree it's like oh well they'll forgive me everything it's okay to be mean did you feel romanced (laughs) no (laughs) i want you to feel romanced but did you feel romanced no i didn't i'm sorry (laughs) i always feel like i'm confessing when i don't (laughs) confess confess I think there were parts toward the end that kind of got me there a little bit. How they started to open up to each other and do little gestures for each other and remember why they're together. But there really wasn't enough of it. There wasn't. So, Em, what else have you been reading? I've been reading Friends Without Benefits by Penny Reed. I love Penny Reed. So it's the second book in the Knitting in the City series. Our couple is Elizabeth the nurse and Nico the comic, I guess, comedian. And they knew each other when they were younger and they were separated in time and space. And then they reconnect because his his niece is sick and romance ensues. I liked that one a lot. I, I enjoyed it. I like Penny Reed. She's funny. Or her writing is funny. <laughs> I should put it that way. You don't know her personally. I don't. So I, I don't want to. I mean, in my head she is, but you know, fair. See, Naomi, there's reality and there's what's in your head. Two totally different places. <sighs> anyway, what have you been reading? 
I recently finished Worst Guy by Ruby Dixon. It's kind of a sequel to Bad Guy and it's part of her, it's not really a series, but it's the Rizdiverse that she has. She has a bunch of books that take place and are connected, but aren't necessarily a series. In Worst Guy, we have Crolden the Ruiner, who is one of the most dangerous, horrible gladiators in the galaxy. Gladiators are basically slaves that fight, but he isn't actually Crolden. He's actually a clone. When he's awoken, because he was in stasis, he was awoken by people meaning to rescue him. They treated him poorly, like he was a dangerous gladiator because they thought at first he was Crolden. And even though they realize he's a clone, he's still been acting like Crolden, <laughs> hurting people and being vicious and such. Meanwhile, we have B, who is a human who was a slave, but was freed as well. And she actually works at the facility where Crolden is being kept, but she doesn't like her job, and she wants to be a social worker for the other humans that have been freed. Oh. And she goes and talks to the person in charge, and they're like, well, okay, fine, but you have to do a test case first, and they assign her Crolden. <laughs> ah. <laughs> but B treats him like a person, <laughs> which has never happened for him before. <laughs> I really liked the story. I like the psychology in this story where you have Crolden who has like the sort of mentalities and things of the, I don't know what you would call it, the source material. <laughs> you know, he has sort of the mentality and memories and stuff of, of the real Crolden, but he's not the real Crolden and he doesn't necessarily want to be. He's just kind of in this scenario where he just feels stuck and trapped and doesn't know who to trust, doesn't have anybody on his side, and then he realizes that B is on his side. Aww. It's a very sweet story and I love Ruby Dixon, so just about everything she writes is good. Yeah, she's written a lot. She's very prolific, yes. That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for our show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify, or follow us on Twitter. Join us next time when we discuss While You Were Creeping by Poppy Reese. Hi! <laughs> you know, Fernando, of the words that I've written so far, I think my favorite phrase is Mojo Mojo. <laughs> I almost feel like the 8,000 words were worth it just to get Mojo Mojo. <laughs> I'm not sure how the rest of it, but at least I got that. I know, like, peace. The little things, dude. It's all about the little things.